does take place on Saturdays however this week we have unfortunately had to change it to today but we're here we've made it and hopefully you're um, at home or about or doing whatever you're doing listening in so I'll be here for the next two hours to take you on a journey through the arts Um, talking about the artwork of the week and some arts news, as well as our three-in-one Story Three Song segment.
that was Balloons by Tornbruket, an experimental jazz band from Sweden. So hello, if you have tuned in, this is the Arts Hub Show, and I'm Esme, I'm here for the next two hours to take you on a journey through the arts. So the way this show works, for the first hour we have an artwork of the week, in which I've comprised a synesthetic playlist um, to... uh, assist you through the chat and then the second half of the show we talk a bit about arts news local arts news in edinburgh and just what's happening in the world of the arts right now and maybe talk a bit about where art is going um we also have a new segment which i have uh, introduced the last couple weeks called the on the hour three and one which we will be including on the hour of four o'clock this week instead of five o'clock as we are um the show is taking place on Sunday instead of Saturday today Um, but we made it we're here still going forwards the show must go on but um, yeah the three in one segment of our show is uh, story through song if you like so on the hour perfect time to get grab a cup of tea sit down listen and uh, try and guess what links these three songs together But we're at the beginning of the show, which means it's time to introduce our artwork of the week. And this week, our artist is actually um, Ted Geisel, or as you would know him, Dr. Seuss. So, of course, Dr. Seuss is one of those characters that has welcomed us through our childhood, held our hand through learning to read for the first time. Green Eggs and Ham was the book which I learned to read on, and of course, there's Grinch, Can the Hat, his amazing mystical imaginary world um, does go beyond his books. Um, He actually was an incredible painter and um, of course he was famous for being a cartoonist and an author but he actually painted and these paintings he did um, actually weren't released to the world until he died. So we're going to talk about a painting from his series called The Midnight Paintings, which is when he would paint for leisure and pleasure at night by himself. And it wasn't until he died that his wife, well, he's told his wife that he that she could release these to the world and everyone could see them. So it's kind of a secret little um, part of his life which not many people know about but these paintings are really beautiful and the one we're talking about is every girl should have a unicorn from 1965 so before we natter on much longer let's play another song this is butterfly by grimes
Butterfly by Grimes. So, hello if you have just tuned in, welcome. This is the Arts Hub Show, and we are talking about the artwork of the week right now, which is Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn by Ted Geisel, or as you know, Dr. Seuss from 1965. So, before we talk a bit about the painting itself, let's discuss Dr. Seuss, his life, and his journey into becoming an artist. So Dr. Seuss, his real name being Theodore Seuss Geisel, um, actually uh, graduated from Dartmouth and then entered Lincoln College, Oxford, uh, intending to earn a doctorate in philosophy and in English literature. And at Oxford, he met his future wife, who actually encouraged him to become uh, a cartoonist and pursue his art career. Um, She said that Ted's notebooks were always filled with these fabulous animals, so I set to work diverting him. Here was a man who could draw such pictures he should be earning a living doing that. So he began his career as an editorial cartoonist in the 1920s, and in the years that followed, he delivered 44 children's books and over 400 World War II political cartoons. So he actually had a lot of uh, work in creating propaganda uh, during the war which is not what you'd associate when thinking of his children's book. So it's an interesting contrast there. Um, Yeah, and he created many advertisements, editorials, and all of these contained very inventive animals and characters and Seussian humor, so to speak. Um, The magazines he wrote for was Vanity Fair and Life. And um, yeah, many of the caricatures which he used also in his World War II propaganda Um, artwork was also then used in his children's book so it becomes very surreal when you see something like Horton from Horton His Who representing the GOP for example but everyone is very familiar with his book illustrations but many are actually unaware that Seuss was a visual artist and he painted and sculpted uh, much countless works for his own pure enjoyment Uh, his secret art is art that he was doing at night for himself and it was very rarely exhibited during his lifetime. He kept it very secret and he didn't want any of it to be released or shown to the world until he passed away in the 90s. So he always dreamed of sharing these works with his fans, but he trusted his wife Audrey, who um, then did carry out his wishes once he had gone. Yeah, Audrey believed that Ted would one day be evaluated not only as an author, but also as an artist in his own right. 
His style is super wacky and gravity-defying. Um, I'm sure you've all seen the illustrations in his many books. Um, Cat in the Hat, uh, Horton Hears a Who, The Lorax, it's endless. But um, he also had a very nice painterly style, which is what we see in the artwork of the week, which is every girl should have a unicorn from 1965. Um, yeah, so he uses his uh, history or talent of uh, cartoonist work and illustration and whacks it onto the canvas and uh, creates something that is very surreal and um, a lot of colour. He loved using his colour and you can tell that he was very inspired by cubism, surrealism, all the movements that were going on at the time, abstract expressionism. If you go through all of the paintings he did in his Midnight series, you can see that he was inspired by all of the history that he was living through um, during his life as an artist. Yeah, but before we... uh, continue the discussion let's play another song and this is do you love me now by the breeders
So, if you've just tuned in, hello, um, I'm Esme, I'm here for the next two hours, and I'm talking about the artwork of the week for the Arts Hub show, which is Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn from 1965 by Ted Geisel, otherwise known as Dr. Seuss. So... Dr. Seuss, he was known as his car- as being a cartoonist, a writer and author, but little do people know that he actually was an incredible painter, and these paintings which um, he came up with and did in his own time were called the Midnight Paintings, secret paintings that weren't released until he died in the 90s. So... As well as paintings, however, he did also do a lot of sculptural work, which was very wacky, and comical in some ways, um, very surrealist. And he invented his own animals and creatures which live in the Seussian world um, of the Cat in the Hat and the Lorax and Horton Here's Who. In this world, he created many mystical, strange creatures and he made um, busts of these fictional creatures uh, using paper mache and antlers. He collected antlers, his father, um, Uh, worked on a farm and had access to lots of antlers so he'd collect them and make these huge busts using paper mache and he called the eventual 18 sculptures unorthodox taxidermy and uh, some of the animals in this strange collection is the goo-goo-eyed Tasmanian wolgust, the mulberry street unicorn, the sea-going dilemma fish and the sawfish. So His style of drawing animals is probably what most people are familiar with. And um, Dr. Seuss said in 1981 that this derives from the fact that he doesn't know how to draw. And he says that I began drawing pictures as a child, trying, let's say, to get as close to the lion as possible. People would laugh, so I decided to go for the laugh. I can't draw normally. I think I could draw normally if I wanted to, but I see no reason to recreate something that's already been created. So he creates these creatures thinking in a very, it's a very much similar to surrealism, just inventing a whole new world. And I think that's what's drawn me to him, particularly in this collection of midnight paintings. Um, He was very inspired by surrealism. And uh, he arrived in Paris in 1926 when the surrealist movement had already become a force with its first uh, group show exposition surrealist and taking place in 1925 so he was very much there in the scene in the right place at the right time and um, he considered Paris the accelerating axis of his world and absorbed everything that the arts had to offer and this early and powerful influence of surrealism stayed with Ted throughout his life and is very much beautifully realized here in every girl should have a unicorn So, on that note, let's play another song. This is David Allen. See you on the moon. Or should I say divided aliens? Yes.
don't want to take this too seriously, you know, because I'm going to have to it's very serious. Very serious. Yes, very serious. And that was the chaos of Divided Alien, or David Allen, and the song See You on the Moon Tower. So, if you've just tuned in, hello and welcome to the Arts Hub Show. I'm Esme, and we are talking about the artwork of the week, which this week is Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn, from 1965, by Ted Geisel, or otherwise known as Dr. Seuss. So... In Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn, Dr. Seuss presents us with almost a dense forest of imagination, boundless energy, um, which could be representative of his life's pursuits. Um, The trees twist and turn with a strong indication of will, desire. They bend and move to accommodate new thoughts and ideas, much like the twisting, layering of imagination itself. The colours are quintessential Seuss, playful, imaginative, yet painted with a surreal sensibility and the sophistication of an artist chasing his creative peak. So, if you have not heard of the Midnight Paintings or aren't aware that Dr Seuss was actually an, uh, an incredible painter and artist in his own right rather than just a cartoonist and an author, then that's understandable these midnight paintings weren't released until 1991 after he died um where he uh, his wife audrey second wife audrey um uh, followed his wishes which was to release them once he had passed away these private artworks um, were mostly done in the loneliest hours of the night when the pressures of his day had subsided. Um, in the quiet darkness, he felt he could retire at his easel and see what inspiration could possibly unfold. Those moments were not necessarily about being lonely, but rather uh, great artistic freedom flourishing in the stillness of the night. I mean, most, most artists, um, I'm sure, can agree that working at night is when the most um, exciting things happen. That's when the juices start flowing. Um, Yeah, so it's very different from his mainstream works. If you look at the illustrations from Cat in the Hat or Green Eggs and Ham, which is one of my personal favourites, they do have a very cartoony element to them, although the characters that are presented in his illustration do come up in his... Uh, painting as well, particularly the cat. Um, Throughout his work, surprisingly, the cat sort of comes to symbolize him. Um, He sees himself as the cat figure in many ways, and um, especially in his midnight paintings, there are many paintings that he has done of cats, and um, usually, though, they are kind of the 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 knight from like the cat in the hat is a very happy dude <laughs> he's like uh, representing daytime joy but the cats he paints in his midnight series they're very dark and dingy kind of kind of um sad evil creatures lurking in the shadows um smothered by green thick paint very different from the images you find in cat in the hat or other cat in uh, illustrations he's done and I guess it's showing his um, 
the other side to his work and um, a lot of the difficulty uh, he found and pressures he found with being a successful child author. He constantly was worried about um, releasing another, yet another good book (laughs) constantly. So the cat does come up again and again throughout Dr. Seuss's work. Um, But in Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn, there's no cats, but in the slight corner there is a girl sat on top of a fantastical unicorn in the most perfect Seussian style you can imagine and on that note I think it's time to play another song this is Vashti Bunyan Jellyfish from the album Hartley Jellyfish by Vashti Bunyan from her album Heartleap. 
So we're talking a bit about Dr. Seuss and his painting, Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn from 1965. Um, And how do these midnight paintings, this collection of midnight secret paintings, which he did, contrast to the more well-known illustrations and uh, cartoons that he's done throughout his life, which were very, very public. You know, he he illustrated um, for... Uh, World War Two propaganda war cartoons and he also did countless books before he started doing children's books um, his work was well known everywhere except these midnight paintings which were secret and held private for him and himself only how do these secret paintings contrast to his other works well his mainstream works very playful very simple-lined, cross-hatching, basic cartoonist style. He still had the imaginative, playful uh, world of the creatures, wonderful, whimsical creatures, and uh, and nonsensical architecture and all the fabulous things that the Seussian world contains, but it did not have the... uh, There was not much sense of darkness in that world. However, his his paintings, his midnight paintings, have a lot of black. And although the the artwork of the week, which we're talking about, is a very colourful work of his, there are many in his midnight series that are very dark and um, dingy. And they kind of show a whole new side to Dr. Seuss. Um, His midnight paintings are definitely more ethereal. Uh, They have a much lighter and imaginative uh, energy about them. They're exuberant, they're sort of bursting with life and pattern and swirls and colour. A very, very rich sense of colour and movement in his work. It's almost as if they're breathing and moving and creating a life of their own. These paintings really, I think, turn the Seussian world um, to life, it really brings it to life. The cartoons do in many ways with the words, but with the paintings, you don't need an, a story to go with it. It's so full of life and energy, and um, they're very free as well from the goal of storytelling. Of course, his illustrations were tied to the story and guided you through whatever the story was, but these paintings were free from that and. Uh, instead had much more of a theme of infinity and endless bounds and openings to new worlds and realms. Um, yeah, but he also, his paintings were also very playful. So there was some which were more, you know, serious, so to speak. But he had a lot of playful ones as well. He actually painted a series of bird paintings from his studio, um, which were made to poke fun at his neighbours. So he painted his neighbours as birds and created these caricatures of them um, in secret, in private. And he did this uh, also with himself, as I said earlier, with cats. So he used cats um, to represent his alter egos. So in his Midnight series, cats are definitely more sinister. And they're very often smoking. And he was a lifelong smoker, but he refused to ever smoke in front of a child or even where a child could see him. But in these alter ego cat midnight paintings, the cats are haggard and smoking and dingy in these dingy dark settings. Um, 
And it's very hard to find any self-portraits of his that are actually very positive or pleasant. A lot of them are very dark in these Midnight series. And it shows, I think, the stress that he was feeling, um, which wasn't well known at the time. I mean, he, being a child author, you, you keep things jolly. Um, although The Grinch is terrifying and continues to be my biggest fear. Um, but he does have... Uh, have a bit of a darker side in these midnight paintings, which is nice to see. I think it shows a lot of self-expression, which um, couldn't really come out in his illustrations necessarily. Um, but now I want to play, um, this is one of my favorite songs. It's called uh, Watermelon Man by Herbie Hancock. I'm sure you all have heard of it, but um, I've been waiting for a moment to play it. And I just think this painting and the world of Seuss and Dr. Seuss really does go nicely with this song so here we go let's get a bit funky <laughs> Thank you. 
Waterman Man by Herbie Hancock, a personal favourite of mine, and I think it is the perfect song to accompany a chat about Dr. Seuss, his world, his art, and nonsensical, psychedelic worlds, realms, you name it, that he creates. Um, yeah. What a, what a tune. But we are, you know, reaching towards the end of the first hour of the show. And I thought I'd read a few of his poems for you guys at home, listening, just to give a little insight into his world and accompany the chat about every girl, um, the painting, Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn from 1965. So here's a poem called Thinks to Think About. You can think up some birds, that's what you can do. You can think about yellow, or you can think about blue. You can think about red, you can think about pink. You can think up a horse, all the things you can think. So wonderful. Here's another one. Just waiting. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go. Or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their uncle Jack, Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants. Or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. And that's from the book, All the Places You'll Go. I do find with Dr. Seuss that his, although playful and joyous, I find a lot of his books have quite dark undertones. There's a bit of a dark underbelly with his um, books. They have a lot of moral uh, code. Like each story tends to link to some kind of moral. And I do find it quite terrifying. I mean, the Grinch is one of my biggest fears, strangely. But yeah, with this poem I just read, Just Waiting, I think he he relates or alludes to a lot of very true and honest uh, feelings of, you know, modern day life. And he does it in a very playful and jolly way, but it still, you know, says a lot. Um, hmm, What else is there? Oh, this one. Okay, this is a poem called Just Bobbing Along. I love that phrase. Um, From the poet or from the book On Beyond the Zebra. Floob is for floob, booba, ba, booba, bobs, who bounce in the water like blubbery tubs. They're no good to eat, you can't cook them like steaks, but they're handy in crossing small oceans and lakes. Oh, so good. What else is there? Well, here we go. Good night. And now, good night, it is time to sleep, so we will sleep with our pet Zeep. Today is gone, today was fun, tomorrow is another one. Every day from here to there, funny things are everywhere. And that's from the book One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, the classic. Wonderful. I just read that from a very sweet little book called A Collection of Rip-Roaring Rhymes from the Master of Verse. It has lots of lovely illustrations in as well. Now for another tune before we slowly reach the end of the show. Not, ah, no, don't go away, not the end of the show. The end of the first half of the show. Um, 
And this is The Last Living Rose by PJ Harvey. Enjoy. Living Rose by PJ Harvey from her album Let England Shake. Yeah, what an album. So we're reaching the end of the first hour of the show and before we say goodbye to Dr. Seuss and the painting Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn from 1965, I just wanted to have a bit of a descriptive moment. I've just rustled up a bit of visual analysis in the last uh, like 10 minutes but it's a few thoughts I had on the painting and the way it looks and um, yeah a little guided look and observation of the painting. So if you're at home and you're chilling and you're thinking oh I want to get in on that maybe go on your phone or go on your laptop and uh, search up Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn from 1965 and maybe um, have a little look at the painting whilst I discuss it. So, here we go. Light beams from a baby pink cloud which floats above a girl sat on a unicorn. Around her, trees twist and turn in all directions, overlapping, creating a forest of rainbows. 
the trees lay on an ocean blue background, creating an illusion of swimming trees, swimming within time and space. The girl and the unicorn prance over the hill towards um, the outside of the picture plane, going on an adventure through the Susian world. On the bottom left of the painting, however, there is a looming sense of darkness. Perhaps it's a signpost to the dark underbelly which resides in the world of Dr. Seuss. The darkness trying to get into the light. And there we have it. Every girl should have a unicorn from 1965. A beautiful painting by Ted Geisel or Dr. Seuss as he um, as was his pen name. And um, yeah, the world which he created in the dark hours of the night, the paintings he created in the Midnight Painting series, a private collection which wasn't released until his death in 1991. And on that note, I'm going to play one more song before we delve into our On The Hour 3-in-1. Here we go, this is Blue Butterfly by Yule, an artist I've discovered recently and rather like. So here we go.
Spotify by Yule. And with that, we close our discussion on Dr. Seuss and his painting from his Midnight series, Every Girl Should Have a Unicorn from 1965. So now we have reached the halfway point within the show. Here we go. So, on that note, we're now entering a new segment, and this is the three-in-one, on-the-hour, story-through-song. So every week on the hour, I play three songs back-to-back, and you at home have to sit there and ponder what on earth is connecting these three songs. It could be that these artists know each other somehow, or it could be that it relates to a place or a time period, or maybe it relates to the progression of an art movement or a musical movement. Whatever it might be, I think uh, this one I'm pretty excited about. It's... um. No, I'm not going to give anything away. I'm going to let you ponder it, but I'm very excited. And yeah, so sit down. This is the perfect part of the part of the show for you guys to just get a cup of tea, maybe get comfortable, relax, and just enjoy the transition of three songs and think about how they may relate to one another. And without further ado, here we go. First song of the three-in-one segment. It is four minutes past four on Sunday, the 19th of February. Here we go.
Mayfair strange in a summer night Mayfair strangest in the afternoon Mayfair stretching far above Full of fame but lacking love Could it be we see the Mayfair moon Mayfair strange across the park In the day or in the dark There's no need to walk or even run Mayfair faces clean and nice The beauty here is cold as ice Could it be we see the Mayfair sun? Mayfair strange at every hour Hidden frowns with mystic power Starry heights and golden throne Down below you're on your own Mayfair strange for passers-by Sights of wonder for the eye Could it be that they'll pass by again? Mayfair calling far and near For even trees are wealthy here Could it be we yell Mayfair rain? Mayfair strange in the morning light Mayfair strange in the summer night Mayfair strangest in the afternoon Mayfair stretching far above Full of fame but lacking love Could it be we see the Mayfair moon? All around 
Flashing to the water And a river of green is sliding Unseen beneath the trees Laughing as it passes through the endless summer Making for the sea In the lazy water meadow I lay me down All around me golden sunflakes settle on the ground Basking in the sunshine of the bygone afternoon Bringing sounds of yesterday into this city room Hear the lark and harken to the barking of the dog fox Gone to ground See the splashing of the kingfisher Flashing to the water And a river of green is sliding Unseen beneath the trees Laughing as it passes through the endless summer Making for the sea have it the three songs for this week's three in one segment on the hour story through song and what were you thinking whilst you were sitting at home what do you think was connecting those three songs hmm 
Well, let me tell you, whilst in the midst of the cold and windy and rainy uh, winter, I decided to do a three-in-one, um, all centred around a place, and a place very dear to my heart, and that place is Granchester Meadows in Cambridge. So, how do these songs relate to that place? Well, the first song I played was the band Joker's Wild, and the song Why Do Falls um, oh sorry, and the song Don't Ask Me What I Say. So Joker's Wild, Don't Ask Me What I Say. This band um, is actually the first band that David Gilmore was in, um, player uh, for you know, Pink Floyd dude. <laughs> so Joker's Wild was active until 1967, until David Gilmore decided to leave the band and join Pink Floyd and uh, form their band in 1967 as well. And he obviously then became the lead guitarist and co-lead vocalist for Pink Floyd. Um, the band Joker's Wild were very keen on doing covers and they played all over Cambridge in youth clubs, village halls and parties in Cambridge and uh, David Gilmore actually ended up um, living in Granchester when with his band Pink Floyd but the second song was actually Nick Drake three um sorry Nick Drake and it was a Cambridge recording a very rare recording which I managed to find on YouTube so if you're a fan of Nick Drake I definitely recommend going on YouTube and finding these there's this tiny little quirky YouTube account which has barely maybe like 100 followers or something and it has all these old retro very rare recordings of Nick Drake uh, playing and um, just in his room in Cambridge uh, near Granchester when he was before he'd released his album Five Leaves Left so very recommend or highly recommend checking that out if you're a fan um, that's really interesting and this song Mayfair by Nick Drake this is him just jamming it in his room so it's a home recording um, from when he was at uni in Cambridge so if you know Nick Drake you know that he's um, studied at Cambridge and he used to play guitar in Granchester Meadows very often and I mean Cambridge at the time in the late 60s was quite a, it was a bit of a strange quirky place if you're a musician I mean Cambridge Folk Festival had started in 1965 and had um, I mean Pink Floyd was started forming then and uh, Pink Floyd's 1969 album Uma Guma um, actually included a song called Granchester Meadows and if you have guessed it yes that was the final song Granchester Meadows by Pink Floyd from the album Uma Guma from 1969 of course Pink Floyd legendary band psychedelic rock um, band very cool and they formed uh, 1967 first album 1969 and they lived at the address 109 Granchester Meadows and actually, Sid Barrett and Roger Waters actually attended um, Cambridgeshire High School for Boys, which was uh, now called Hills Road Sixth Form College, which was my sixth form, as was, I'm sure, many people who are from Cambridge. So there we go. Not very Scottish, I do apologise, but I was feeling nostalgic and uh, it's cold, so I wanted to link it around something that reminds me of summer. And that ends our three-in-one sequence, or three-in-one on the hour segment. And now it's time to enter the realm of the Arts Hub Bulletin. Oh, there we go. (laughs) 
It's time to wake up from the slumber, the slumber of Dr. Seuss and Grantchester Meadows, Pink Floyd, Nick Drake. It's time to wake up and start thinking what's happening in the art world now. What's going on? Where's art going? All the exciting, juicy stuff that's happening around. And um, to start that chit-chat, let's say, get get everyone awake and ready for, you know, the news to come. Let's play... Hmm. I'm really tempted to play Lady Gaga. Hmm. Okay, I'm just going to wake y'all up. Here we go. Applause by Lady Gaga. Come on. Let's go.
Okay, so that was Lady Gaga with applause. Um, me indulging and uh, into the urge to play Gaga, but I hope that worked in waking you all up for the Arts Hub Bulletin, which we are now beginning. So let's talk a bit about the arts world, what's happening, what's going on in Edinburgh locally, and also just throughout the world, what's going on. What is the big deal? But let's start local and locally there is something that i saw recently which i thought was really charming and really cool um and if you're in edinburgh you have to go to this thing so it's called 365 stories and music and this is in summer hall um if you haven't been to summer hall it's right next to the meadows it's uh, very close to george square campus if you're an edinburgh uni student so it's perfect place to go you know from campus and there's a lovely cafe which does awesome wraps you know tea coffee whatever you want and there's this cute little section within the cafe where they have something going on called 365 stories and music and you sit there by the table put headphones on and then next to you is a book and there's a story for every single day so you find the date in the book you read the story whilst listening to music which also is adjusted so there's a song also for every single day which coincides with the story isn't that awesome like I love stuff like this where every day you can have a new quote or a new story or a new song which is relates to that day and if you're having a bit of a bad day I just really recommend going to summer hall sitting down putting on the headphones and the music is very beautiful folk reels um Scottish traditional folk reels by um Aidan um O O Rook Aidan O'Rourke oh, and James Robertson are the um, people who have collaborated here. So James Robertson is the story uh, writer, the author. So he has released this new collection of modern Scottish short stories. And then Aidan O'Rourke, or O'Rourke, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, but his, he's written the lovely series of folk reels that go with the stories and all together creates just such a nice sensory experience, um, which just makes your day feel a little bit better. So if you're in Edinburgh and you're, maybe you're sitting in George Square right now and you're thinking, oh, I really don't want to, you know, do this reading, go to Summer Hall, mix it up. It's so nice. Um, so yeah, in 2013, one of Scotland's leading authors, this is James Robertson, he decided to write this story every day thing. It began in 2013, and every single story has to be, here we go, every, like exactly 365 words. So not only has he written 365 stories, every story is 365 words. I mean that will have taken a while and the Scottish fiddler and the composer Aidan Aruk um, then wrote a tune for every day in response and all of these stories and tunes have been recorded and they've created a very nice interactive collection and it's touring Scotland and it's a nice cute little installation that is in Summer Hall but it's only going to be there until Friday the 28th of April. It began on the 2nd of February and it's going on till the 28th of April. So do just check it out for the 
for a day <laughs> um, it's not going to be here forever so I do really recommend it um, the diverse stories encompass fairy tales politics and crime the music is sparse and emotive um, and there's also a bit of piano and harp and guitar harmonium it's very lovely rich folk lovely Scottish rich folk all the good stuff and the spoken word versions um, are read by James himself and there's the occasional surprise storyteller which add a range of accents from Scotland so not only is it Scottish it's all of Scotland is being uh, tied together into this installation with different people all over Scotland reading out stories from different areas um, and it's there's a, a specific table that was built for it so when you're sitting at the desk you're looking at um, a little tiny little screen and then there's a dial and you select what day you want for the sound and then you pick up the book and press play and um yeah it's just nice because it's like there's it's individual and it shows every day has that individual quality no day is the same every day is different and yeah it's just very very charming but um yeah what emerged from James Robertson the author of the 365 stories um, original New Year's resolution is this rich patchwork of fiction woven in with stunning melody and now involving um, into or a evolving into a multimedia piece of free public art this was a lovely New Year's resolution of James Robertson's and here it is bold tender full of old truths and distilled modern wit 365 stories and music is an epic built on the beauty of the miniature and it's that which makes me feel hopeful and that which i love so much about it it's seeing the beauty and the the amazingness of every small thing in everyday life it's all about the small things the miniature the beauty in the miniature what a lovely little phrase but uh to go along with this chat of uh, 365 stories in music, I actually have both a recording that I'm going to play by Aidan um, called Do People Still Do This? That's the question, that's the name of the song, and it's a folk reel he's written. And then I also have another recording which has both Aidan and James collaborating together. So you guys at home can listen to a little snippet of this lovely installation and project. So here we go. This is Aiden with Do People Still Do This? A lovely folk reel. <laughs>
And that was Do People Still Do This by Aidan O'Rourke, the guy who's behind the beautiful Scottish folk melodies with this new installation in Summer Hall, 365 Stories in Music. What a fabulous idea. And then the stories written by James Robertson. If you're in Edinburgh, it's open between 8am to 8pm. Um, pretty sure most days i went on a thursday i think it might be only open on specific days but definitely head over to summer hall and check it out it's only here until the 28th of april so you really don't want to be missing it it really added a lot to my day when i went it really made my week bit of an overstatement but actually did it made me so happy so if you guys also if you're into folk i mean i'm just a massive folk fan so listening to the folk reels um and reading the fairy tale stories was really really special and nice but just to give you a sneak peek of what it's like this um the installation i've got another recording now which i want to play you guys at home which is um James Robertson reading a story. The story is called Imagination, and he's reading his one of the stories from his 365 stories. Um, it's exactly 365 words, and Aidan O'Rourke has written a beautiful folk uh, reel over the top. So here we go. Imagination, one of the stories. <laughs> Once a man so old that most of his family and all of his friends had left the world long before him. He had been in the war, and when he spoke of that time, it seemed to anyone watching that he was not only mentally but also physically reliving his experiences. Even when, overcome by the power of imagination, he lapsed into silence, his legs and arms would jerk and twitch his whole body move as he refought battles. His young relatives, for whom the war was only history, were thankful that they had not had to undergo such experiences. Increasingly infirm and having gradually but completely lost his sight, the old man had to move into a residential home. One morning the staff found his room empty, his bed not slept in. A search was undertaken, but without success. Then the telephone rang. A neighbour had discovered him outside his old house, cold but in good spirits. She was now giving him his breakfast. How, though, had he got there during the night? The house was five miles away, along a complicated route, and he was a blind nonagenarian who could not ordinarily reach the dining room without assistance. When questioned, he vigorously denied phoning for a taxi or having been given a lift. He had walked all the way with his comrades, he said. 
naming three men who had been dead 70 years. And whenever one of the party had tired, the others had taken it in turns to support him as they went. He never wavered from this account, and no other explanation of how he had made that journey was ever found. A few weeks later, he had a fall, and shortly after that, he died. It was the old man's grandson who told me of that last march. The story has stayed with me ever since. It makes me think of the dying Balzac, who looked at his doctor and cried out, Send for Blanchillon. When mere mortal physician could do no more for him, the author called for one of his own characters. And who can say that Blanchillon did not come and did not bring relief? was the moving and beautiful collaboration between James Robertson and Aidan O'Rourke, the folk fiddler, an absolutely gorgeous folk, uh, traditional folk reel um, composer, Aidan and James Robertson, who wrote the story. All together, they collabed for this wonderful installation, which is traveling around Scotland, called 365 Stories and Music, where every single day there's an original story like this one this one was called imagination and an original folk reel to go with it how wonderful but moving on to a different topic of conversation what's happening in the art world right now well the iconic 42k jeff coons balloon dog sculpture is accidentally smashed by collector in miami there's also been paintings or drawings recovered by Salvador Dali. A hundred-year-old Dali's drawings were stolen in Barcelona art heist and they have finally been recovered. And also there is, um, which I want to delve 
deeply into is um, the artwork of Rafik Anadol and his captivating data-generated abstractions and how he is pragmatically optimistic about the future of digital art. So when it comes to modern modern world, postmodernist art, technology tends to not be included. And with the new... Um, like, what would you say, revolutions of artificial intelligence, I suppose, um, you'd think, well, this, this raises a lot of questions. Artificial intelligence is really changing the face of the art world. Where is art going? Does artificial intelligence change the consciousness of art? Can artificial intelligence create art? And is it still respected as art? Are all artificial intelligences, consciousnesses, are they artists in their own right? It poses a lot of questions, the whole idea of artificial intelligence, specifically with art and specifically when it starts creating art, which is such a human and humanly, um, you know, authentic thing which has gone throughout history. Artificial intelligence is changing the face of the art world. And this artist, Rafik Anadol, is right there with it. He loves digital art and he creates the most gorgeous um, works which um, contain data. So a, a projected work, it's, it's, a, it's a screen and it's projected and um, it's made by training um, a neural network of 45 terabytes of data from digital archives and then this um, neural network then dreams up different ways of visualizing this data spinning a mesmerizing light show and his work is incredibly mesmerizing if you go online and you type in Rafik Anadol you're going to be amazed and you're going to want to go to one of his shows I've been trying to see if he's going to be in the UK anytime soon and I don't think he is from what I've seen sadly but he's in Sweden right now he's in Berlin a lot of shows going on in LA and America he's in um he's actually grew up in LA so a lot of his work's in America but yeah his work is crazy and it's all using data so it's this idea of letting the machine do the work but giving it the tools to do it and if it's the machine that's coming up with these dreamed sort of hallucinations on a screen, I mean, is it art? Because it's not human. I don't know, but I love it. I think it's very cool. And I do think the future of art is in technology and the new revolution. I mean, obviously painting's good and it'll never get old, but I think the future expanding um, or com combining science with art is where it's going. And Rafik Anadol is at the forefront of all of this. And he, it's, it's an evolution in art making. And until now, the art world hasn't really had much to do with digital art. It hasn't really been explored to its fullest potential. I mean, Rafik is probably the biggest deal in the field of digital art. But um, until now, there hasn't been much crossover in the mainstream art world. He's very emerging and it hasn't quite caught on just yet. But um, here's a little quote by a journalist who says, I love the way you can put a flat screen, 
flat screen in the wall and plug in this data and you have a moving painting, something you can watch hour after hour. Because this painting is alive. It's alive within the digital world, within the, the realm of the AI consciousness, which is all confusing and hard to fathom, but it's real, it's happening, it's happening right now everywhere. And that's where we're going as, a, as the human species, terrifyingly. So that is the truth. We're, go, we're heading towards an, artificially in, an artificial intelligence future, um, whether it be in shops, down the road, police, you name it, it's going to be all over the place. And inevitably, it will be within the art world too. And these artificial intelligence consciousnesses, they're going to make art. And they, they will. And here's an example of them doing it. And of course, you can sit there watching the screen for hours because the artificial intelligence is creating new images, image after image after image. Um, it's improvising, it's evolving, it's inventing on the spot. And it's no picture is the same. It's not a video. It's not a video going on a loop. It's it's a machine thinking up new ways of visualizing data. Strange thing to to imagine, but it's it's incredible. And uh, his art is just insane. And if you go on YouTube or you go online, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's it sucks you right in. It's very psychedelic, um, immersive, all the best stuff. It's very much installation type art where you walk into a space and you're immediately transported to a whole new dimension um but yeah it's like uh it's being dreamed i mean a lot of his works have titles like dream or imagination or whatever because it's the idea that the the machine the technology is is having a dream almost and you're witnessing the dream um you're sort of a, a voyeur of the tech of the text dream that's going on um but yeah, this journalist continues to say, I think that he's opening up something that's going to lead to tremendous in innovation. Um, yeah, but Anadol, Rafiq Anadol, he bears a difficult burden because he's the ambassador of technology, especially AI, and critics, <coughs> critics and a public that is increasingly skeptical and even fearful of AI um, are a bit, yeah, a bit weary of him. They, they think it's scary of how AI is going to impact society. So he gets a lot of like negative criticism of these technologies which he's using in his work. And um, he remains, however, very optimistic. Um, he, he says the influence that comes behind this is that he wants to keep that childish imagination with machines and try to keep it as hopeful as possible. Um, it's apparently been his goal since his childhood. Um, he's always wanting to try and create that, you know, when you get your first phone or your first laptop or first video game, um, it's the te that's what he's uh, excited about and wants to keep that excitement going and the optimism. I mean, I'm terrified of tech. I think most people are. It's a bit of a black mirror moment. We don't know where we're heading. But Rafik Anadol, amongst all this doom and gloom, really adds an element of beauty with tech and the beautiful potential of AI intelligence. Oh, sorry, yeah, AI. But um, he's pushing, he's pushing boundaries and he's doing a lot. Here's a little quote from him himself. And he says, while the art world was sleeping, very honestly, the tech world was ready for pushing the boundaries. I was able to work with the best pigment, the best brush, the best hardware, the best algorithm. Whoa. So <laughs> there we go. AI, 
check what's gonna happen who knows but on that note i want to play a little song called flow bit techy
and that was Flow by Cricket Colours, a pretty groovy song, and that was to go with our chat on um, Rafik Anadol and the world of AI and where artificial intelligence and art um, are coming together and collaborating to create new and wonderful and beautiful, slightly terrifying things. Um, yeah, I find that whole field really fascinating, and uh, if you're at home, definitely check out some of his stuff online. It's really cool. Um, yeah, so that's us at the end of today's show. And um, thanks so much for listening. If you have been listening, I've been Esme, and I've been here the last two hours talking about all sorts of arts and crafts. Um, and it's uh, the Arts Hub show, which you've been tuned into, which will be back as normal next week. I'm aware this week it's been going on on Sunday between three and five, but next week we're back on the right path, and we're going to be here at between. Um, four and six on Saturday as usual. Everything will go as usual, back to normal next week, so do tune in with, um, we'll have more art, more news, all sorts will be going on, so you don't want to miss it and uh, yeah, I also have my stuff uploaded to Spotify, so if you haven't been able to listen to the whole show do not fret, um, it will be on Spotify by this evening, also last week's show I'll be uploading tonight as well, so yeah, hope you have a lovely Sunday and I'll see you next week.